welcome back to another episode of the No Name Denver Sports Podcast. This is episode four because episode three was lost. But will remain in a legendary state for all time. You guys really missed out on probably the best 40 minutes of a podcast that you would have ever listened to in your entire lives. But unfortunately, (laughs) the um, technology gods made that impossible for us to share with you. So I'm sorry you guys are going to be missing this little piece of of your life moving forward. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So catching up, all sorts of stuff. Demarius Thomas traded. Chad Kelly is, you know, just couch surfing, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of if he has permission. Yeah. Um, The Broncos think that they're good when they beat the living tar out of uh, a Mike McCoy coached team Mm -hmm. and then come back to earth at the Chiefs. Uh, All sorts of good stuff. Yeah. You know, we've we've taken a few weeks off to um, process the loss of of (laughs) episode three. So there's a lot of things that have happened. And on top of all that news, we also have um, an ownership and trust battle with the organization. So you know, it's, while the season may not be going great, it's never a dull moment in Broncos country this season, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's start with, with the biggest, most recent news that happened today is that um, Demarius Thomas got traded over to the Houston Texans. And um, after being in his ninth year with the Broncos, spending his whole career is going to be on the other side of the field um, on mile high this Sunday against us for the Texans. Well, the good news is, I mean, he probably doesn't have to catch a flight or anything like that, right? He can just go across. So, you know, that's convenient. But mm-hmm. And I think this is something that, I mean, the writing was on the wall as soon as they started drafting wide receivers this year with Cortland Sutton, who's been doing reasonably well, and being owed $19 million next year at that. The reality was that he was not going to be a Denver Bronco pass this season. Um, so trying to get something for him, it makes sense from a long-term play, but it also means from a short-term play that, you know, to a degree, I think there's, there's an element of, of throwing in the towel on this. Yeah. I mean, Sutton's been playing well. Hamilton hasn't been in there a lot though. So there's a huge amount of risk that you're down to the two wide receiver tandem again, that has poorly served the Denver Broncos for the last three years. Um, I mean, there's a lot of short-term risk and, as well as you now have a locker room that's pretty demotivated. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I think we actually talked about this in the first few episodes that the Denver Broncos were not going to go into next season having both DT and Emmanuel on the roster. One of them was going to be gone. And um, DT at the start of the season was looked like the bigger casualty to that wide receiver core, uh, mainly because of that contract mm-hmm. with being owed $19 million next year, there was no way the Broncos were going to pay him that. So it would have either been a restructure to that contract uh, and letting Emmanuel go or um, what ended up happening today and and deciding to take a pass on DT and, and a chance on some of those uh, younger wide receivers they have. And um, they certainly have um, a lot of potential, um, but like you said, it is a big risk. Um, you know, going drafting DT um, and, and starting with a wide receiver core back there in the Josh McDaniels area is always always a risk. He was um, her number one receiver at that time, but it, it is a risk to cut your, your veteran um, who, while his numbers have declined over the last few years, he's still a, a very capable um, veteran wide receiver and throw it to those those young guys that have talent but really haven't had an opportunity to show what they can do um, on the field and, and give them the reins. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the uh, Broncos respond on the defensive changes, right? Because as DT commanded safety help, every time he went deep, he commanded safety help. Well, he's not going to command safety help anymore. Sutton's not going to command safety help until he proves that it has to go there, which means it's going to be Sanders. And Sanders has played very well, but Sanders has had a lot of one-on-one opportunities when he's been called upon. He's not going to have that anymore. The goal is going to be eliminate Sanders from the game and force these young rookie wide receivers and whoever is left in our tight end, tight end core. I mean, Hiram Man, he's you know probably not long for the Broncos here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in fits and spurts, but I mean, isn't really reliable. They're really going to test these guys to come through, and it's it's going to be interesting to see you know how does Keenum respond to this? Keenum Keenum targeted Demarius Thomas all the time, mm-hmm. right? That was. More often than not, that was the number one read, and he'd laser focus in on him. What happens now Now that that's not there? Now that Sanders is going to be out of the game, it's going to change a whole bunch of the dynamics in terms of what the Broncos are really going to be able to do on offense. Yeah, and you know, I think a, another um, big piece that some people are overlooking with this trade is not only are the Broncos going to miss um, DT's talent on the field, but... He really was a leader for those young wide receivers on the team um, and kind of a, a leader for um, the offensive side of the ball, really. And mm-hmm. while Emmanuel is a veteran and, and Emmanuel is a great wide receiver, I don't think he really plays that leadership role um, there on the Broncos. He's, he's a playmaker yep. um, and, and he's vocal. And he he can be outspoken, but he's not taking the time like DT did, staying after practice, working with these young guys to mm-hmm. help develop their their form. And so I think that's going to be something um, that we're going to see moving forward here is that they're really missing that leadership gap with DT gone. Yep. I mean, and if only they had a way to, you know, compensate for, you know, losing the stuff in the passing game. Oh, wait, they do. Run the freaking ball <laughs> down people's throats when they can't stop you and resist the urge to flea flicker that whole game away. Right. If only, if only that was a possibility. <laughs> and look. Let's be honest, I have had, I am very guilty of a few, um, you get paid $70 million to catch that ball outburst with DT, but it's it's always tough still to see a guy like that go. He's our number two receiver um, in Broncos history as far as um, yards. Um, he's number three on receptions after Rod Smith and Shannon Sharp. Rod Smith has all of our records with receiving yards, touchdowns, receptions. But DT, See, Elway just wanted to preserve yeah. his buddy Rod's records. I think so, but DT's... Hitch them out before they get <laughs> crushed down. But DT is two, is two on, on two of those lists and three on the other. He was only 10 catches away from catching Shannon Sharp on the receptions. Oh, for so that's... Mm-hmm. And that's it? Yep. There we go. <laughs> Elway's old receiving buddies. Keep, they keep were Shannon it, under- yeah. <laughs> Shannon made the call. Said, Elway, you can't let another one of my records go. Don't do it. I, I need to be number two. <laughs> uh, and for those of you that are also listening, Henry just opened a beer and did not spill it all over his pants. So we have another win today. Right? I mean, things, you know, there's still, there's still some hope. So, yeah. I mean, going, going on the passing stuff, I mean, something we talked about, um, I mean, the passing game is, even with DT in there, you know, was inconsistent, um, but there's this incessant need for the Broncos to try to turn in the passing game to win games when they are dominating everybody in the running game. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, especially now, I mean, 
I guess maybe naively, maybe not, I would like to think that now that this is going to severely negatively impact the passing game, that you shift over and say, well, you know what? I'm getting six yards of carry. I'm going to go until someone stops me. I don't know, though, that this coaching staff is going to be able to resist the temptation to just bomb it deep straight to a safety. Yeah, you know, I I can't understand the logic with Bill Musgrave and this coaching staff is repeatedly trying to force a passing game. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to look for this statistic while we're recording, so no promises that I can find the definite numbers. But I do know that the Broncos are number one in the NFL with their running backs for yards per carry, which to me translates: Why are we not running the ball? If you are number one in the entire league with yards per carry for your running backs, regardless of who is carrying the ball, you should probably run. Um, but the Broncos are not first in the NFL on running plays. They're actually, I think, um, which I'll have to look at, the, this is what I have to look at. They're about middle of the road in the league um, in running plays, and which makes no sense to me. If something's working, why don't you keep doing it? Play to your strengths. Yep. So I, I cannot understand why you have Philip Lindsay running, rushing the ball, getting six yards per carry, you hand it over to Freeman, who's at about five yards per carry, and then suddenly you have this desire that we need to force a long ball down the field. And as you pointed out, pull some of these cute plays like a flea flicker when it's not a time to be pulling these um, trick plays to, to uh, fluster a defense and just com completely kill your momentum and getting to the red zone and actually scoring. It makes no sense to me. And I think, I mean, a fundamental for football, a, a fundamental thing of a good team is when everybody knows what you're going to do and they can't stop you. Mm -hmm. And the Broncos potentially have that in their running game. And at some point, I don't know why you don't sit there and say, you know, I don't need to pass on you to win. I'm going to run it up the gut every single time, do it occasionally and around. And until you prove you can stop me, I'm just going to keep doing it. Right. I'm going to dominate time of possession. I'm going to keep your offense off the field. And six yards to carry, I mean, I'm going to win this game. Right. And, but you play to your strengths. It, yep. it just is mind-boggling that yep. that they keep ref, uh, refusing to play to that strength and, and try to, to pull in a passing game. I know they're, that Case is not panning out the way that um, some of that front office and coaching staff was hoping he would this year, and maybe they're trying to give him some extra reps to work through whatever his issues are, but... I also think that they're not giving him the reps and passing that really work to his style as quarterback as well. So why force the passing game if you're not going to give him uh, plays that are actually his strength and instead keep putting him in situations where he's not comfortable and where he keeps making bad throws and, and turnovers? Well, and in Minnesota, I mean, he succeeded in part because it was a complimentary offense that was not dominant, where he did not necessarily have to by himself, you know, t take over a game. He needed to be a complimentary piece, and he excelled in, in that format. When you put him in center stage, which the Broncos keep trying to do, he falters. You just don't do it. I mean, it's 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 poor. I mean, we keep harping on it, but it, it's poor coaching. I mean, we've made some excellent points that are lost forever in episode three. Yes. Um, all of it was gold. All of it was gold. Absolutely. Exactly predicted we, what is happening now. We would have ESPN contracts right now if episode three was ever able to be played. <laughs> <laughs> for our sheer knowledge and <laughs> amazing information that we provided during that episode. <laughs> I mean, I think so. Going on the offense, I mean, so the coach, the coaching, I think you got to play, especially now that you don't have the depth of wide receiver. Of, I mean, not just personnel but experience. 
I mean, you have to play to the strengths now. You don't have a choice to be successful. Um, assuming that they want to be successful, which, frankly, it calls into question with the trade. You know, what is the team's real perspective on this season? Uh, I mean, this game coming up is pretty critical against the Houston Texans because I think it's going to tell what the rest of the season is. If they lose this game, going into the bye, this is an ideal uh, time to start making some more drastic changes beyond beyond trades. This is a time to, you know, does Joe Woods get fired? Does Vance Joseph get fired? I honestly don't think Musgrave gets fired because even mm-hmm. though he inexplicably goes to to off or to pass plays, I don't think that he has done a. I, I don't think that he single handedly has has taken out some of the some of the strengths of the team. I right. don't think he's negatively impacted to that point. Right. Ultimately. Uh, it falls to the head coach with Vance Joseph and Joe Woods, defensive coordinator, um, has absolutely no control over that defense and puts them in, in horrible coverage situations, not playing to anyone's strengths on that defense whatsoever. So um, I think it certainly falls to Joe Woods and our defensive-minded, supposedly head coach, for um, not being able to um, adjust the game plan on the defense as needed. Um, offensive side of the ball, I almost kind of feel like maybe Musgrave, um, I, I agree with you, first of all, I don't think he, he's gone. His, his job is safe. I almost wonder if maybe he's trying to force passing plays or get too cute with these trick plays because he knows there's some jobs on the line and he's trying to, to prove his worth to the team and, and, you know, what he can, can do and what he can contribute. He's just not doing it in a beneficial way to the offense. I mean, the NFL, you, you play to results, right? I mean, and sitting there calling bad pass plays for a team that can't execute them isn't saving anybody's job. That's how you get fired. Mm-hmm. You have to... And coaches that can truly be successful in this game are coaches that can teach up to a point, but at the end of the day, are people they put players in a position to be successful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means don't put them in something that, you know... For all the coaching in the world and all the prep in the world, if somebody can't do something, at some point, you don't put them in that position, especially mm-hmm. when you have other ways to get the job done. That's what mystifies me the most. If the running game was horrible, pass away, right? Because right. who cares? you got to do something. But you have a tool in your toolbox. You have one that's proven to work. Mm-hmm. Use it. Philip Lindsay is one of the top five running backs in this NFL, in this National Football League as a rookie. And out of those top five yardage with um, the running backs, he uh, his amount of snaps is drastically lower, his amount of carries, than any of, of those other, other um, on the top five list. I mean, right there, that shows with just that statistic, as your rookie running back is in the top five with um, almost half as many snaps as these other guys, um, maybe you should utilize that running game a little bit more. It's obviously something that's working. Um, and to your point with this DT trade, maybe maybe it'll be the opportunity to um, focus on the running game a little bit more while those younger wide receivers um, kind of get up to speed in their roles. But I'm I'm a little afraid that it's just going to be more of the same and that Musgrave is going to take that opportunity of now that DT's gone and, and we have Cortland Sutton and we want to get um, Deshaun Hamilton on the field more, show Tim Patrick, um, so get him on the field some more that they're going to try passing even more to to give them those reps and that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't mind that they're limiting Lindsey's snap counts a little bit in comparison to some of these other guys because he is, I mean, one of the docs that left led him to be undrafted was that he was smaller. 
um, may not be able to hold up as that primary back. But, I mean, they do have a balance amongst some of the other running backs, and it's not necessarily mm-hmm. a reason to move away from some of those things. Hamilton scares me a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens when he goes in, but what we saw in training camp is as, as decent as he was as an Emmanuel Sanders clone, um, he's got a little bit of the butterfingers that, that DT has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reliability, there's going to be reliability issues with him, um, especially as he's trying to ramp up and especially as he's going to be drawing some tough matchups. Um, and this is going to be this is a big opportunity for him, but there's a decent amount of risk, I think, coming along with that as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've seen anything yet that really shows that he's going to be anything more than a number three right now. Right. They obviously hope it'll be better. Um, I hope he'll be better, but I think I think there's a decent chance that he's not going to be able to quite come through. Yeah, for sure. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this offense works out here um, for the rest of the, the season moving forward with um, Demarius being traded to Houston. I know uh, trades always affect uh, player the other players on a team, but from what I've seen today after the announcement, it's, it's certainly... Um, taken, uh, hit some of the players hard. I know Emmanuel was uh, a little bit vocal today that he didn't like the trade. <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> that's, which, a pol- that's a polite way of, uh, um, of describing which, his reaction. <laughs> which is which is almost kind of funny because really um, Emmanuel is the reason that Demarius is being traded because um, I think that Emmanuel um, before this season started and before the draft started was probably the candidate to be traded away or um, cut from the team after the end of the season. But um, with some of those big plays he's put out this season and some of the, the trick plays that they've put in with him um, being our, our um, joke backup quarterback that <laughs> is more successful than our actual quarterback, uh, quarterback I think he's um, – he he made a, a, a spot in Elway's head where he didn't want to let him go. So um, it's kind of funny it's for Emmanuel to be so upset about it when ultimately he's he's the reason why Demarius isn't on the team anymore. Um, although it's, it is kind of crazy to think that Emmanuel and DT, um, I think I saw, are the longest tenured um, starting wide receivers on any team. So it is, it is a big change um, now for Demarius to be gone um, and not have that partnership that the two of them had at the position. Um, I know Vaughn is also, of course, devastated uh, about the move. Um, Vaughn is one of the longest tenured uh, members on this team now with Demarius gone. Demarius was our last remaining Josh McDaniels era uh, Denver Bronco. Um, and then LA drafted Vaughn the next year. So mm-hmm. now he's he's one of our only remaining um, long tenured Broncos left on the team. He's been, He's played his whole career with DT. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how it affects the offensive um, plans moving forward and, and really how it's going to affect that locker room in general to have someone like that gone. Yeah, but I think there's a little bit, and this goes, I think, to kind of that locker room culture and and kind of the expectations that I think are maybe lacking for the Broncos. For all these players to act shocked and disappointed on this, the cold reality is you're a bad football team right now. Mm-hmm. And bad football teams get blown up. They, they just do because mm-hmm. you have to produce results. And if there are people in these leadership positions, and I, I mean, I, I get, you know, being bummed and somebody gets traded and everything like that. But I think to a degree, acting shocked and surprised or anything like that, anything beyond disappointed and sad that you're leaving them, but shocked and surprised that I think a little more from Sanders' reaction right. um, than Miller's, you know, I, to me, it kind of makes me question, you know, how in touch with you are, are you with, what the expectation here is. Mm-hmm. The expectation is you need to win. If you're not, 
you're going to start scraping down the high, the, the expensive people, and you're going to start trying to rebuild the thing, which is what this move was about. It ultimately was about shed massive salaries, get a lot of that space back, get what you can, and start to set up to try to create a football team that isn't sitting at three and five in midseason. Right. And let's talk about that a little bit as far as, so what the Broncos got for trading Demarius Thomas is they essentially got a um, fourth round pick from Houston. They traded seventh round picks in the deal as well. So essentially it's, it's most likely a wash on, on that piece. The next Chad Kelly. <laughs> Miss, our next candidate to get beaten with a vacuum tube <laughs> on the line. Uh, but essentially it was a, a fourth round pick for Demarius Thomas, which in the long scheme of things, isn't a bad value considering DT is in his ninth year um, playing as a wide receiver. So he's certainly not one of those young guys um, who has another 10 years ahead of him to play the game. He, you know, he's starting to get down into his his final years, although nothing to say that he'll be done after a couple, but he's he's in the the um, second half of his career at yeah. this point. I mean, he's got one <clears throat> decent sized contract likely coming and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Right? A couple, maybe one years if he lasts and then that's, that's the end. Yes. And on top of that, what the Broncos really gained out of um, the DT trade on top of that fourth round pick was that they have $19 million off the books um, towards the salary cap next year, plus another $4 million this year since the Texans um, have to eat half of DT's contract for this year with the mm-hmm. trade. So they're getting a lot of cap space, um, which is a pretty good win because um, to get a fourth round value with DT with $19 million, which the Texans can probably restructure in the offseason so they're not taking quite as big of a hit. Um, but then the the topic goes from there. You're, you're shedding some of these big contracts, as, as you said, to create more cap room what are you going to do with that money? Are you just going to sit on it like Scrooge McDuck and swim around in it every day? Or are you actually going to give it to some game changers um, to help strengthen your team even more? Or are you going to do what we're fearful of? And (laughs) unfortunately, I think this is on the lost episode too, but I do love to pick on Menelik Watson and everything that he represents. Um, You know, are you going to go out and overpay for another tier two free agent who ultimately ends up disappointing um, and and just blow this cap space because Elway inexplicably I I get to a degree from a business standpoint you don't want to overpay for these top people that are coming out because you could end up with a massive amount of dead money later if they completely crater but what we're in era, ending up with is a moderate amount of dead money later um, for people that just completely uh, fail to perform I mean Menelik Watson got cut with five and a half million guaranteed this year mm-hmm. I'm still counting up to the number of cuts and everything like that I mean. Uh, Marquise King got cut. We haven't hit on that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, we're approaching the amount of dead money that we're approaching from these bad mid-tier signings. These poor signings is approaching the Tlaib contract, right. which we shed supposedly to save money. Exactly. Which, what have we done with that yet? Absolutely nothing. That's we, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got it, what, another draft pick, low-round draft pick out of the Akib Tlaib trade, which... I mean, ultimately for a team, what you want to do is to be able to to build a strong team in the draft and then bring in a few top free agent guys to, to really solidify some of those gaps that you have. So great that we're getting these draft picks. But as we know, John Elway as a GM does not have a great draft record. So that's a little worrisome on that. And on top of that, that free agency spending he's doing is not in the right places. As you mentioned, he's he's spending money on these tier two guys the last few years that 
are making no difference to the team, um, if not worsening them. Oh, they're, and, they're negative. I mean, a lot and, of these guys have been a net negative. And then end up, end up having to pay them um, insane amounts of money. And, I, you know, I'm not sure if it's more Elway's strategy that he doesn't want to pay um, top money for these top tier guys and get into a situation, like you said, where they may not pan out and he's, he's paying insane amounts of money for years to come and can't bring anyone else um, of, of that talent into the organization for several years. Um, or if it's more that he can't attract those top tier talent anymore um, to the organization. So he has to settle for these tier two guys and paying them this money, hoping that they're going to pan out um, with these contracts to produce a little bit more than what they're worth. Well, but like Calias Campbell is a good example from Arizona, right? <laughs> CU product, um, loved the Colorado area, and they missed out because they underbid by $1 million a year, um, and he went to Jacksonville. And he's tearing it up in Jacksonville. He's good for a dozen sacks a year. Um, that was at the same time as the Menelik Watson signing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you sit there and you have some players who can truly transform a unit. Um, and we are bypassing them. I, I do think it's the dead money thing, honestly. I mean, Elway's, from a business standpoint, Elway's done a very amazing job at balancing and up until really this season when he's had to cut some of these high-profile high free agents. Um, he's kept the dead money down to a minimum. I mean, we've been in hundreds of thousands of dollars. There are other teams, you know, let's talk about the Cowboys, who, you know, owe you know, 10, mil, 10, 20 million in, in dead money annually because Jerry Jones just can't help himself. Right. Um, so he's able to balance that, but the impact of it is he's so badly misplaying these tier two free agents and not being a little more strategic like, frankly, he was with Peyton Manning mm -hmm. to, to go and find a couple people who can become transcendent. And now, unfortunately, I mean, to your point on being able to attract the free agents, you know, the window for him to have been able to attract some of these top free agents has likely closed because now you have a coaching staff that's tenuous at best, most likely gone by the end of the year. You have a team that now is bereft of that, that second-level talent. I mean, the depth on the Broncos is pretty bad with the exception of running back thanks to the draft and defensive line, but that's about it. There's not much depth anywhere else. You know, There's not a lot of appealing left in terms of really any situation on that team that's going to have, even if the Broncos bid higher, to be able to get some of these people in at this point. Right. It's almost like Elway is trying to play the money ball version of um, football with trying to get production out of these these lower-end guys and, and put together a formula where he can have a successful team without spending all the money. It's, it's, it's almost like the, the football's version of money ball, except it's not panning out um, with where he's spending his money. And I think the um, equation with that... I mean, Peyton Manning was a once-in-a-lifetime free agency signing. I don't know if there's anyone um, that can ever be the equivalent to the Broncos landing Peyton Manning and, and when they did. Um, but Peyton Manning was able to bring in these other free agents to the organization um, because they wanted to play with Peyton Manning and they, and they knew that he could get to a Super Bowl. And there were many free agents that are Tier 1 guys that Elway was able to sign um, for less than tier one money solely because they wanted to play with Peyton. Now they don't have a Peyton Manning anymore and he's still trying to play that same game of offering these less than tier one contracts for some of that talent and it's not panning out for him. Um, he needs to, if, if he wants to, to play that game still and, and uh, with his business, 
he needs to get one of the, spend a little bit of money on one of those top tier free agent guys. I don't think he'll ever find someone quite that has quite the draw as Peyton. I don't know if anyone will ever get that opportunity in the NFL again to have quite that that free agent signing and draw like Peyton Manning. But you have to be able to to spend a little bit of money to get the returns on it, and he's just not willing to do that right now. Well, I think now, I mean, we we talked earlier, and we'll we'll talk on it now. I think this is a good time as any. You know, Elway's legacy as a GM. You know, it's a great move to be able to land Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Panned out wonderfully. It really set the stage for the eventual Super Bowl championship. Um, but the day to day on being a GM is not that once in a lifetime free agent. It's the series of draft picks and it's the series of key free agents to be able to put together a sustainable winning team. And you have to question how much of the Broncos makeup is really because Elway is a GM, has really had that sustained success on a lot of those things versus that one big fish and the ripple effect of that big fish landing, landing in the boat um, that, that created that, that team. And is, is Elway really capable of building a sustained team without a generational free agent signing. Right. And I mean, to currently where the Broncos sit, it does not look good for the legacy of John Elway as, as a GM. This team that's currently playing that's three and five and the team last year that was one of the, the worst teams that the Denver Broncos have ever had. If also three and five. Yeah. <laughs> um, was is a team that Elway has built. These are his draft uh, picks and his draft signings and and his free agent moves after the great Peyton Manning has retired. This is the team he has. It, it's completely his. And as we mentioned a little earlier, with Demarius Thomas being traded away today, that's the last player from the Josh McDaniels era. And John Elway took over right after um, Josh was fired. So this is all completely him. So it's great that, I mean, he, he does need to get the credit that he was able to land um, that trophy fish in Peyton Manning. But what has he been able to do since then? Mm-hmm. And and what has he been able to do to sustain the team he, he was able to, to land from Peyton Manning? Yep. I mean, and it's, it's interesting. You even look at, so I think the stat still holds, Elway is the GM. Because what a lot of people forget is that Brian Zanders was the GM the first year that Elway came here. Elway was just the executive VP, mm-hmm. right? He was the GM. So Brian Zanders was the was the GM who drafted Von Miller. Now Elway was part of that. You give mm-hmm. him credit. Um, that's when Harris came on. Harris came on and drafted in the same season. Elway has actually not yet drafted a Pro Bowl player. Right. Um, not directly himself. Do you give him credit for Vaughn? You can decide to whether or not. I mean, te- but technically, from a GM standpoint, uh, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He was not the one who selected um, the draft. I mean, this this year probably will come will will become the exception to the rule, which is good, right? This is the first draft, and we talked about this. I don't remember which episodes. So let's call it three. three. It probably was probably three. in three, which was gold, <laughs> complete gold. Um, I mean, this this is by far. I mean, the the first draft, not only from a quality standpoint, but the first draft that really felt like. I mean, when you and I watched watched the draft, um, they were playing. They they were not drafting for potential. They were drafting for people who produce results. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and holy crap, holy. they're producing look at, results. Look at those results. What we have. are the odds? <laughs> But I mean, it, it's it's decimated the team on these on these reaches and these these. Uh, I mean, the 
That's just why the depth has gone, right? Good drafts produce not just the quality starters, but it produces depth. It produces the ability to weather the storm of the season, all the injuries, all the turnover. I mean, a million and one different things can happen to a football team. Um, and it's gone. And he has, he, I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly telling stat. Zero Pro Bowl drafts mm-hmm. from Elway as a GM. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's caught up to this team. They're decimated. It's... I think something that scares me on it also, though, is, you know, it's easy for this team, and it's funny, DT said all these things right before he went, it's easy for the team to fool itself into thinking this goodness is just a couple steps away. You're a 3-5 and five team that ripped off a four-game losing streak. Right. Um, and you only broke that thing up by beating the living tar out of an Arizona Cardinals team that at least puts some things in perspective for folks who are fans of the Broncos. You know, I guess it could be worse. Um. <laughs> But at, at the end of the day, you're still not a good football team because you're not producing results. Mm-hmm. And Elway now, I mean, he's got a coach in Vance Joseph who lets him do whatever he wants, um, which, you know, might make Elway feel empowered and everything like that in his position. But the reality is it's, it's produced a stinker on the field. Right. Yeah. Vance Joseph is not one to, to speak up and speak his mind to John Elway. He... He's going to go along with anything that John Elway wants to do, which is a detriment to the team. I mean, John Elway, yes, is is one of the quarterbacks to ever play, best quarterbacks to ever play the game, one of the, the biggest Broncos legends of all time on the field, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he knows all the right moves to make when he's directing things off the field. And Vance is not the kind of person who's going to tell John Elway that. I don't think Vance personally even knows what the right thing is to do to be able to tell John Elway that's not the right thing to do personally. Um, I think, I think Vance Joseph is completely in over his head in a head coaching job and is just treading water, trying to, to um, get a breath here and there. I mean, we, and this one, we actually did legitimately talk about an episode, (laughs) but when we talked about, you know, Vance Joseph had one year of coordinator experience under his belt when he got hired, Joe Woods had none, the lack of ability to scheme, um, and create, you know, cr- create a good game plan and be able to execute it, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The experience is not in this coaching staff to be able to do that. Right. Right. It's a, it's all a bunch of people who excelled as position coaches, and that's great. But coaching some linebackers or cornerbacks, I mean, Joe Woods, I think, was the secondary coach before he got promoted. I mean, it's one thing to coach people on how to play a position. It's a completely different thing to coach people and turn into coach a unit. Right. And I think the lack of, of experience there is really killing this team. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another reason I think Musgrave probably survived some of these things. Because at least Musgrave knows how to scheme to a degree. He just can't help himself by thinking that Keenum will see the safety downfield. It's amazing. <laughs> he sees everybody else. Uh, but the safety... The safety's just... wearing a uh, Case Keenum invisibility cloak. Uh, that's probably <laughs> what... Probably what it is. Uh, I mean, everybody else sitting in the stadium can tell, you know, where where the safety is, except except that one guy. Um, but I mean, I think that it's it's tough because in going into let I mean, if we segue into the next coach of the Denver Broncos, because I think at this point we can assume it's likely to happen. I think even though the Broncos are still holding out hope, they're going to turn this thing around. Um, you know, it, you already had a demotivated team to a degree before Demarius got traded. So you're going to have one now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's likely, it's likely the end for Vance Joseph and most likely most of this coaching staff. So 
looking at the situation, you have John Elway, who is a pretty heavy-handed GM, um, who I think probably did shine to a coach that, I mean, if he doesn't know him like Gary Kubiak, at least shine to a coach who he knew that he could have good control over. But what? who's going to want to come into the situation? Right. Yeah, um, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording as far as who could be the, the next potential head coach candidates for the Denver Broncos. Because this is not, I mean, he, as a Broncos fan, um, we have very high standards for this, this team, this organization. And we definitely see things with rose-colored glasses. And this is not a really um, exciting um, opportunity for someone that's a head coach to be walking into. Um, I really can't see like an experienced, tenured head coach wanting to to take a head coaching job with the Denver Broncos with with the um, talent and and what's going on um, on and off the field, especially too with the ownership battle um, and the trust too. It's a sticky situation on on many fronts. There's not a lot of individuals that will want to come into the situation unless they're kind of a Vance Joseph times two, where they're a, a young, inexperienced guy trying to get his head coaching gig to to prove his worth and his muscle. So, yeah. I mean, so right off the bat, you know, no in-demand up-and-coming coach is going to want to come here if they have options, I don't think. Because why would you want to come into a situation? I mean, you look, you look around the league, there are not a lot of GMs who are not also their own coach who are as heavy-handed as that way. So if you've got multiple options, you're not going to take it. Mm-hmm. If you are an experienced coach looking for that next opportunity that has a good track record, you're also probably not going to want to take it because you're going to want your credibility and your experience to count for something. Right. You want your legacy to live <clears throat> on and yep. <laughs> to so, not have that Denver Broncos um, asterisk on your record. <laughs> yep. That's exactly right. So you're mm-hmm. so at this point you're down to second tier of up and coming coaching candidates who do not necessarily have enough of a good track record or credibility to be able to command multiple offers or a coaching retread who is realistically pro- probably not up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Try the, to, or try, or yeah. the college ranks, um, which which can be hit or miss. I mean, I, I mean, sometimes they translate <laughs> well. Um, a lot of times not, they not don't. Because most of the time they don't. Yep. College football is, is a different kind of game than the NFL. And I mean, even look at um, Nick Saban, who... Um, came to the NFL, for, uh, coached the Dolphins, and um, quit on his team in the middle of the season to go back to college football. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't translate well very often. And Nick Saban is, has continued his success in the college ranks, but um, the NFL was, was not cut for him. And it, it's, a, it's a completely different game on the college level than it is in, in the pros. So that, that coaching doesn't often translate over well. So, I mean, that's, this gets to another point, and I think it eventually leads to the ownership. Um, so, I think Pat Bolin, regardless of who it was, and Shanahan was the example, I did see no scenario where Pat Bolin would have stood for this. Oh, no. I think Elway, I mean, if this was happening and Pat Bolin was the owner, the active owner, With I mean, El- mind. Elway, mm-hmm. Elway's gone. Yeah, I don't, I don't I think, think realistically he is. I don't think, yeah, I don't think Elway would be here this season. I think last season would have been more than enough for Pat Bolin to cut ties and go, you know, John, you were you were great for us as a player. You brought us two Super Bowls, but you're not going to bring us anymore, and I need to move in another direction. Yep. Um, but, so, that's, but that's not there, right? The accountability is... 
the ownership accountability, which is now, which is currently in a trust, um, isn't there. Elway's got free reign. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Elway gets at least another season. Although I think what we were talking about before, um, you know, leading up to the podcast, if they if they do this again next year under what's likely another coaching staff, um, I don't know how as Broncos ownership trust or I mean some of the candidates that are starting to really aggressively make a play here can afford to keep Elway because he's pro- at that point he'll have proven that he's cannot sustain a team as a general manager. He just cannot do it. Mm-hmm. And he'll have led them into one of the worst stretches that they've experienced since the first 10 years that they were, they were in existence. Right. And it, it's also, you know, it's, it, it's sad on my heart to that while all of this is going on with how horrible the Broncos um, have been the last few seasons and this, um, ownership battle that's going to court now over the trust versus um, which Bolin is is really the um, the rightful heir to the organization is all happening during the year that um, Pat Bolin is finally a candidate to go into the Hall of Fame and um, I which is a, a completely other episode that I could rant and rave about for hours and hours on end on why. Like, how stupid it is that Pat Bolin is not already in the Hall of Fame um, under that contributor tag um, as one of the the greatest owners of, of an organization and not only for the Broncos but did so much for the NFL but it's it's just so sad that um, Pat is is go is most likely going into the Hall of Fame as a contributor this year while the organization that he built such a legacy around is in such shambles at well, this point. <laughs> let, let, me, let me flip it around though. I mean, does few things I think prove the value of Pat Bolin as an owner more than what you see has happened to the team since he had to step away. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he was still he was still involved in the team when they pulled in Manning. He hired Elway. They pulled in Manning. Um, and about halfway through the Manning time was when Pat Bolin had to step aside. Um, and you honestly see a change in how that organization is run. Mm-hmm. Um, not for the better. There is not a standard. They talk about a standard, but it's easy to talk about a standard, right? And a commitment to excellence and everything that comes along with that. It is another thing to hold people to it. And I think you see why Pat Bolin deserves you know to be in the pro football hall of fame as as an owner even setting aside his contributions to the nfl um it's it's a bittersweet but you see how how powerful of an owner he was and how effective of an owner he was by seeing what happens when he's not there absolutely and he he could build an organization of excellence with high standards without being a jerry jones of throwing money all over uh, yep. in, in order and, and buying his team essentially he he built a such a strong foundation for the denver broncos and this um level of excellence that he refused to to, to go under yep. so it's it it is it's 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 impressive to see since he has had to step away how how different the Broncos are without his ownership but it, it is also heartbreaking yeah. um, and it's it's sad that sometimes you're not able to see it until it's already gone and and that poor Pat is not in the sound of mind at this point to probably even recognize himself and what he's done over his career and his legacy so let's go in let's if we make an assumption that Elway is the only one that survives this season because um, I think that's a fair assumption at this point I think Elway survives the season um but I think that it's up in the air for probably everybody else. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what happens? Does Elway retool thinking that he's close or does Elway swallow his pride and blow it up? You know, I so I do think that John Elway gets a little bit of a longer leash than other um, GMs probably would around the NFL solely based on his career in Denver. Does and, he have a leash? Well, I, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, is he even on a leash or is he just running freely? <laughs> But I do think he has a little bit of a longer leash um, than other GMs because just because of his his playing career um, and the the legacy that he had in Denver before he he came on behind the scenes. Um, but you know it is really interesting to see how kind of the perspective on John Elway has turned over the last season. Um, really, I mean he's he's been our GM for quite some time, and this has been building up over the last few years. But in this last season, it's really interesting to see how really negative um, fans view John Elway as. Um, he doesn't he's not that god in Colorado anymore that <laughs> that he used to be, where he could do no wrong. And and a lot of fans do blame Elway for the situation that that he's in right now. Um, so I. I I agree. I think he would make it through through this season, um, firing the rest of the the coaching staff. I mean, they, they all have to be gone. If if Vance Joseph doesn't get fired by the end of the season, then then maybe Elway is gone for not being able to <laughs> to pull that trigger. But um, I I kind of think that John Elway doesn't see the Broncos as rebuilding yet. Um, I, I still, I think he's looking at this team with rose colored glasses because this is the team that he's built. And I honestly think that he does think he's just one or two moves away from being back in Super Bowl contention and that he just has to get, um, put those right moves in place. Um, I do think he recognizes that he made a horrible mistake with his head coaching staff, and that's one of the issues, um, which is um, another reason why I think Vance will be gone by the end of the season, if not hopefully before. But I don't, I honestly don't think he's with, even with the Demarius Thomas trade today, he's not selling off this team and and, in rebuilding mode. I think he's, he's trying to figure out those one or two steps he needs to make to, to go back to the Super Bowl. I think that's where his head's at right now. I think it is too, but I think for me, if I boil down one thing, and you saw it in the drafts with the exception of this year, that gets Elway in trouble is this love of potential over results. I think he does think he's one or two steps away because I think he still believes in the potential of the team. And this is not a league that believes in potential. Um, This is not a world that believes in potential. Potential isn't valued, Mm -hmm. but aside from the fact that you get participation trophies for everything anymore, (laughs) um, you know, it's about results. And if you cannot produce results, you need to make a change. It's as simple as that. And until Elway starts to value results over potential, um, he's going to keep doing these minor tweaks and they're going to go nowhere. Uh, especially now that he's not going to be able to get a coaching staff who's going to be able to turn potential into those results. Those options are gone to him. I really think they are. Sure. I think it's also will be kind of interesting to see where... Honestly, where Elway's job is at, depending on this ownership battle versus the trustees as well, and um, where this goes, and if one of the those Bolins gets um, awarded ownership of the team, um, you know, well, well, is that going to be one of the first moves they make? Is to 
get rid of Elway, you know? And, and when when could that potentially happen? We know legal battles can probably drag on for a long time. Currently, um, one of the Bolin family members has brought this to court to, um, to state that they think one of the other Bolin children should um, be in control of this team and, and to remove the trustees. Who knows how quickly or how long this will um, be drawn out or get resolved. It, it could be seasons. Um, but the whole intent of the trustees is to not retain the, the ownership responsibilities of the Broncos long term. Um, so I can't, I honestly can't see the NFL as an organization letting this go on for much longer because they've already made exceptions to their rules about ownership um, mm-hmm. because of, of Pat Bolin and, and this, um, what this trustees uh, group is supposed to be putting in place for the ownership. But it'll be kind of interesting to see what direction the Broncos go, depending on which Bolin kid gets put in charge, I think. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fascinating to see, especially how as it winds up, because it, it's even more in the short term in terms of what's going to happen. I mean, the long-term change. I mean, we go back in terms of the negative impact of Pat Bolin stepping back from the team. You know, an ownership change completely changes the dynamic of the team yet again. Uh, if I had to guess, though, I mean, if a Bolin child ended up taking over sooner, it would save Elway. Because I think you're taking over a new team, you're starting, you're taking on a new start. Um, I would be floored if one of them stepped in and had had the gumption to be the first thing that they do as the brand new Broncos owner to fire John Elway. I don't know. I kind of see it on the <clears throat> other end because I do think a lot of the blame for where the Broncos are at right now um, is not because of the trustees, but because of John Elway and where he's put the Broncos. Oh, absolutely. And, and as we just talked about a little earlier, if Pat Bolin was in sound mind and still in control of this team, I don't think Elway would be a GM anymore. So I, I, I kind of see it the opposite. Um, if there's a Bolin that, that takes over controlling ownership of this team, it, it makes a, it makes a big stance to fire John Elway and to say, this is not what this organization stands for. This is not what my dad um, put in place and I'm going to change this. So I kind of see it on, on the other spectrum that that maybe his job is less safe if if one of the Bolins gets put in place sooner rather than later. I mean, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I think the reality, mm-hmm. I don't think John Elway survives without a massive turnaround to see an ownership change <laughs> in the Broncos. I mean, I think, I mean, one of the things that, that Pat Bolin did well and he was able, I mean, he was able to manage Shanahan until the point when he wasn't anymore, which is when he fired him. Um, but, I mean, there was something to be said, and I think it would honestly help Elway, where, you know, I think Pat Bowen would every now and then go to Mike Shanahan and say, you made a mistake here, and you will correct it. And Shanahan, up until the end, would do that. <laughs> this is the first season that Elway's had to, I mean, it's, to, to the point you made earlier, it's the first season that was, that was a team that effectively he built from scratch. It's also the first season that he has started cutting high-profile, expensive free agent signings. Uh, Marquise King got cut. Uh, a high-profile, high... I mean, he's a punter, and mm-hmm. so it's a, it was a high amount of money, $2 million annually, um, free agent signing. My buddy Menelik, who <laughs> Elway waited until his salary was fully guaranteed but before, um, before getting rid of him. Um, it's... This is the first time that Elway is admitting mistakes by making those changes. He has not done that up until now. Um, and if he's able to continue doing some of that, that gives me at least some hope. Because it shows you know, that commitment to excellence, that commitment to results, but also the hubris to suck it up and say, you know what, I did make a mistake, I whiffed on this, but this does not meet the standard of this organization and of this team. 
and we are going to move forward from it. Um, will he be able to continue to do those things, or is someone either going to have to force that hand or get somebody else who will? Yeah. That's going to be the, a big decision coming up for the Broncos. For sure. But let's pivot to the here and now if we do something for a moment. Uh, <laughs> eight games left. What happens? <laughs> well, man, it looks pretty bleak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I, You know, I, I think that the Broncos are in a lot of tor- turmoil right now. Um, on the field, off the field, pretty much in any level of... <laughs> um, distraught they could be in they're experiencing it right now and it's really hard to overcome that um as a team and as an organization and to put that background noise aside whether it's an ownership battle whether your backup quarterback is is wandering into people's houses and getting beat up with a vacuum tube Um, we've all been there (laughs) yeah We've all had those nights, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not to the point where we've got beaten with a vacuum too. But um, when your um, star linebacker's wild, wild west party is spun in the media as a cocaine theme party because two guys showed up in a costume that had cocaine pieces tied to it. Um, <laughs> you know, when Whether you trade away your veteran wide receiver to another organization, it's a lot of background noise, all of that put together. It's really hard to overcome that for a whole season. Sometimes that can fuel you for, for a game um, or two um, to really say, I want to shut up those guys and, and prove my worth, but it's hard to maintain that. Um, and I think the Broncos, they have talent on this team. I do think they're better than their record. Um, I don't quite agree with DT's statements that he said right before he got traded that the Broncos um, are not better than their record. I do think they are, but I don't think they're as good as they think that they are. Um, so I, I don't see the rest of the season um, playing out very well. They may have a, a few bright spots and a, a few um, great games, but I think it's going to be another disappointing season. Um, I hope to God that Vance Joe's, Joseph is gone by the end of the season. Um, I think if they lose um, this week against the Texans, he'll probably be gone in, in the next week during the bye week. That gives them enough time to put an interim coach um, in place and start looking at head coaching candidates um, for next season. If Vance Joseph gets cut real quick, if I mm-hmm. focus on that, um, I'll, I'll toss in my prediction for this. I don't know if you agree with it or not. It's Vance, Joseph, and Joe Woods at the same time. Oh, yeah. I think I think both of them will be gone. It's not going to be one or the other, or one and then the other a few weeks later. I think they're both gone, um, acts at the same time. Um, what then brings up who could be the interim head coach um, for the rest of the season or until they find a new head coach in place. Um, I honestly don't know who that might be. Um, at at beginning of the season, I thought it would be Musgrave. But um, mainly just because of his experience, um, they need to have someone with with a little bit of experience to, to have that job. But I don't. I think Musgrave is is getting too cute with <laughs> some of the things he's trying to do uh, to hand over interim head coaching uh, job duties to him. So that's another conversation. But um, you know, I'm I'm a little afraid though that this that Vance Joseph. Um, eventual firing may get dragged out through the season because um, if they win a game with all these distractions this week, if they win this week against Houston, 
why are you going to fire your head coach after you win a game? So if they win one and then they lose one, win one, lose one, it, it's going to it's gonna drag it out. So that's, that's my one worry is that it might not be until the end of the season or until it's to the point that the Broncos are officially eliminated from any type of playoff contention that he's going to be gone. So how do they finish? <laughs> um, I hate to dredge it up for you, but nine and seven was the prediction from you in episode one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's gonna be hard. Are to... they gonna rip off a six and two and make you it's, and it's gonna, seal this? Yeah, it's gonna be hard to make that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, man, I I really really being being a Broncos fan, and again to to respect the legacy of Pat Bolin, I would really, really wish that they would and at least be able to to break as eight and eight and not have back to back losing seasons um for the first time since Pat Bolin became head uh owner of the Broncos. But it's it's really hard at this point to see that happening. Um they've gotta go on on an insane Tebow esque winning streak <laughs> full of miracles for that to happen. So um, I don't know. I, I think, I think they can pull out a couple more wins this season, but I don't think they're going to be, um, much better than, than their final record from last season at this point, to be honest. And it's just too much turmoil, um, happening in the organization at this mm. point. Yeah. I mean, I think, so my, if I look at the schedule coming up, the only two that I think are win are, <laughs> that you could just on paper think are winnable is <coughs> Oakland where John Gruden's burning that house down like a madman. Um, and Cleveland who just canned their coach and their offensive coordinator yes. who may be in complete turmoil by that point because they're on their way down that path anyway. Although I think that one's sketchy at best. Uh, my gut tells me that when Vanchez gets fired, if it's before the end of the season, we'll see something similar to what happened to McDaniels, right? They ended up beating the, Gary Kubiak led Houston Texans on a bit of the rush because they have new coaching staff as well as I think at that point every player realizes that you know a lot of them are going to be gone if if that turnover starting um my guess is two maybe three wins left and yeah more or less where they uh where they were this year mm -hmm. and uh, we talked about this a little bit um before we started recording but um while DT is probably not going to see much of the field this weekend, um, playing against the, the Broncos on the Texans this Sunday, it would just be that that topper on the cake for this to be DT's like career game of, of his <laughs> entire life to just shove it to the Broncos. Uh, you know, 200-yard receiving game, three touchdowns. It, it would probably um, be that... Perfect. I can see that the Hollywood script being written right now for for that. So I, I would not be surprised. While while the Broncos um, are apparently going to be honoring DT this Sunday at the game, um, they do have a giant banner with his uh, picture <laughs> on the side of the stadium. <laughs> so uh, they did come out today and say that they're going to turn it into a thank you banner, um, and they're going to honor him this Sunday as he is on the other side of the field against the Texans. Um, it just, it, I can just completely see, um, that would be the icing of, of everything just blowing up in the Broncos face. So <laughs> yeah, I would figure. All thank, right. Thank you, DT. <laughs> thank you for just completely playing your heart out against yeah. us. Yeah. Thank you. Smoking Bradley Roby <laughs> up and down the field. <laughs>
All right, folks. I think till next time, uh, thanks for tuning in once again to the No Name Sports Podcast and uh, hearing about us, you know, memorialize episode three. Oh. The, the lost episode. Oh, the episode that, R.I.P. that you'll never hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, till next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye.